0: turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Experience is the best teacher, and if you're young, you know this, because that's why you keep telling your parents not to tell you what to do you think you already know better. And something in your bones, God put it there, said, the best way I'm going to learn is by trying this myself. And at some point, your parents are like, okay, go for it. The problem with our desire as young people to learn, quote unquote, in real life, is that while experience is the best teacher, It's also the most painful and costly teacher. The reason your mom or your dad don't want you to do it on your own is because they still remember what it felt like when they did it on their own, and it hurts. They're trying to warn you in advance. Maybe, possibly, in this generation, the young people will listen, is how we think. But the mornings typically don't make sense until later, do they? When you've undergone painful, life-altering experiences, and you're like, I wish I would have listened. Maybe this is what Jacob was thinking when we find him in our text in Genesis 28. He is at, as one commentator put it, he's at a low ebb. Ebb is a way to describe the tide waters, and when the tides are low at the Jersey Shore, there's a lot of sand, not a lot of water. Jacob has bargained for the birthright, and he's manipulated for the blessing, and as a reward for his efforts, he finds himself on the run, a fugitive from his brother, who wants to kill him, by the way, cut off from his parents, his aging parents, and exiled from the very land that was promised to him. And that's not all. On top of all this, two days into a month-long journey or more to go find a wife, he's by himself with no place to sleep except the out of doors with a rock for his pillow. Jacob is exposed to beasts and bandits. I wonder what he is thinking at this moment in his life. Maybe he was thinking, why didn't I listen? One thing we know for sure, and we're gonna see this in just a moment, he was not thinking about God. But God was thinking about Jacob. And Jacob is about to discover that there is someone at work, behind the scenes, in all of the hardships of his life, in all of his, as the saying goes, knuckle-headed decisions. God is there, and he hasn't let Jacob go. Something's about to happen to Jacob that is going to begin to change his life forever. And that thing is that Jacob's going to have a personal experience with God. That's worth noting. Up until this point in the story, Jacob has not personally encountered Almighty God. He's heard about him. They've talked about him. Apparently, he's the heir of the promises of God. But up until now, we'll say it's been textbook learning. It's been classroom instruction. But in this encounter, which takes the form of a dream, or as Voss puts it, a dream vision, Not quite sure what it is. This encounter and this dream vision. And because of this encounter, we find Jacob for the first time personally dedicating his life to God. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. I know a lot of you in different ways. I know a little bit about a lot of your stories. Some of you I haven't met Are you on a journey whose pathway seems bleak? Do you find yourself on the run over guilt or your past mistakes? You know, you can be on the run and not go anywhere. Are you someone who feels like you need to run away from home for various reasons? Maybe you've been told a hundred times about something, but you still don't believe it. It hasn't sunk in. You're holding out. You have your own idea of how you want things to go. Whatever the circumstances, you might, just like, you might just find yourself, like Jacob did, running into God without expecting it. You know, when Jacob ran into God, we're going to see in our, in our story in just a minute, he gave the place a name, Bethel. Two words, Beth-el, the house of God. My hope for this morning is that this church house becomes a Bethel for each one of you. So let's dive in and see what our text tells us about Jacob's dream, Jacob's encounter with God. Genesis chapter 28, I'm going to be reading from verses 10 through verses 22. This is the eternal word of God, let's give our attention to it. It is always true. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, if he will keep me in this way that I go, if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we have learned the hard way, even if we're very young, we've already begun to learn the hard way that we need advice, we need help. We need help with ourselves, most of all. And I pray that whatever our intentions or plans were this morning, that you would blessedly interrupt them and surprise us with your presence this wouldn't just be a church house, but it would be indeed a Bethel, a house of God where we meet you and hear about your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God uses this encounter in the dream in Jacob's life in three important ways. The first way he uses this dream vision is that he reveals to Jacob a twofold message <clears throat> the dream reveals a twofold message. It discloses, and they're like two sides of the same coin, by the way, something on God's side and something on Jacob's side. On God's side, the dream communicates to Jacob his name, God's name. Notice what he says I am the Lord in verse 13 of our text and I've pointed this out from this pulpit before, but in your Bibles, that word Lord, if you look carefully, is spelled a little differently. Take a look at it. It's capital L-O-R-D, it's all capitals. Now, what does this mean? When we read in the Bible that Lord is in all capitals, it's a way of taking something that can't quite be captured in the original Hebrew text and conveying it in English. This word, Lord, is Jehovah, or sometimes Yahweh, which is just another way of spelling the same word. It's the divine name. It's the covenant name of God. And so we know that God wants to communicate to Jacob not just that he is God, but he is the Lord. He's not just the creator, but he's the promising, loving, redeeming Savior the electing, choosing, gracious, kind, and powerful, personal God. That's important because Jacob heard about this God before, but now God is saying, I am the Lord. And he's telling Jacob that specifically and personally. And some of you, particularly if you're a child, you know about God, but do you know he is the Lord? Do you know he is your personal God? Covenant keeping, promise making, promise keeping, Savior. It's important. Not only does he say his name, though, he explains, God explains his commitment to have an ongoing relationship with Jacob. Again, some people, and this is true not of just young people, but grown ups as well, adults, we have kind of a transactional relationship with God. He gives us something, we get something, we give him something, you know, we kind of, I, I met a guy actually at a, at a business meeting, pastor was invited to a business meeting. I'm mixing in with the, you know, the important people and uh, it's always an interesting moment when a businessman meets me and he finds out my business, which is as a pastor, <clears throat> and this fellow, he said, pastor, you would not want me at your church. I'm like, really? This is going to be good, because, you know, I'm a pretty big sinner, so I can't wait to hear this. Is he for me, this is church. I got my row. Three rows back, four seats in. I go in, go out, bada bing, bada boom, I'm done. Like, I think he even said, like, 20 minutes. So, like, 20 minutes, bada bing, bada boom, I'm done. I'll never forget it. I'm like, Wow transaction like this is like the minimum amount right and not that a godly service is long or no comment on his church that's not the point the point is that what he needs to hear what you need to hear what i need to hear is that god what jacob heard is that god is committed to being with him and abiding with him he says i will be with you Not just in a a church service, 20 minutes, third row up, four seats in, but an abiding relationship with God, a personal relationship. That may seem scary for some people. I don't want God with me all the time. Like, that's a little uncomfortable. God, I mean, God is with me all the time. Well, he also communicates to Jacob in this dream that he is faithful. So if God is, is with you in, in a fearsome way, and we see Jacob, there is fear in this text. That can be uncomfortable, but God is, is emphasizing that he is faithful. We see that when he says, I am the God of Abraham your father. It's interesting, Abraham's actually his grandfather, but due to the relationship of the covenant, the promises, are just as true of Jacob as they were of his grandfather and of his father Isaac. God is faithful. And he makes promises to him The land on which you lie, verse 13, I will give to you. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and so forth. That's on God's side, this twofold message. It's quite rich on the Lord's side. Jacob's side is a little thinner. Jacob was not looking for God. God is communicating to Jacob, I'm looking for you. I see you. I'm with you. I care about you. I want to be with you. And Jacob's like, you know, whistling a tune. I'm fine, just like I am. Oh, sure, I'm being pursued by my brother who wants to kill me, but I'll figure it out. I'm a schemer, I'm a trickster. I've got got some things up my sleeve. What a difference. God is seeking Jacob, and Jacob has his back turned to God. And verse 16 says, after this encounter, he says, Surely the Lord, Jehovah, is in this place, and I had no idea. Now, what didn't Jacob know? Jacob knew that God could communicate with people. He'd heard stories around the campfire his whole life about that. God was talking to Abraham, Grandpa Abraham, and he did this, and he came there, and he did that. God knew that, uh, Jacob knew that God had communicated to his father, Isaac. He'd heard about the miraculous arranged marriage and how providentially this beautiful woman, Rebecca, was introduced to Abraham's servant, and it became this amazing relationship what Jacob didn't know was that God wanted to communicate with him. In other words, we see in the dream God lovingly and graciously pursuing Jacob at an immature and ignorant, somewhat hard-hearted time in his life. If sensitivity was like a fuel tank on your car, Jacob was running on fumes. He had no sensitivity to the, to the leading of the Lord. And so, this is why God has to speak to Jacob in a dream, in this dream vision, because it's the way that God knew that Jacob would pay attention. Exiled from his father's house as Ishmael had been, on a journey away from the land of promise, and on his way to a family, as as we'll see, infected with idolatry and worldliness where he's somehow supposed to find a wife, Jacob's own nature and temperament required an intervention because he was headed for trouble. And if God hadn't stopped him two days into this journey with this dream vision, who knows what would have turned out. He's being called to carry on the covenant blessing. How is he going to do that if his his sensitivity to the Lord is on fumes? He needs a full sensitivity. He needs both ears open, as my mom used to tell me, both ears open. Does he really know what he's doing? Does he understand what's at stake? I mean, he, he gets it on paper, but does he get it in his heart? Jacob's not looking for God. He's on a quest, but I suspect the quest is sort of duty up until this point. It's not his own quest. I mentioned the communicants class. I want to talk to to you if you're between the ages of 10 and 16, 18. You have a choice to make. You may not know what your purpose is in life, but... Your parents have been praying for you and trying to set you up to take hold with both hands of the promises of God and and run with it. It's like a baton, they're wanting to pass it on. One reason we're doing this series in the Patriarchs, I mentioned this, I think last week, is that we wanna think carefully about what it means to pass it on to you. You may think this is your parents' church. Oh no, this is your church. That's why I'm directing my message to you this morning. You need to recognize that you have a responsibility to take the promises that have been given to your parents and make them your own. Jacob is about to have a personal encounter with Almighty God. That's the first reason that God appears to him in this way. It's a twofold message. Speaking of the promises, what are the promises that are made? The second purpose, I think, of this vision, and it flows from the first, and not quite as important, but it's, it's helpful information. God appears to Jacob because he wants to confirm the promises that Jacob already knows and expand upon them. He confirms the promises, but then he expands upon them. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, he says in verse 13. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Just in case you wondered, the the stories you've been hearing around the campfire, they are true. Rumors are correct. This is your land. I'm confirming that, Jacob. And Jacob, I've heard that you've had some doubts about this, so I wanna clear it up for you right now. It's all true. I am real. This is your land. It's going to be yours and your children's. I was recently visiting family, meaning this week, and my parents are getting up there in years, and so they're wanting to talk to me about things like what their wishes are, their last wishes. I'm like, Mom, Dad, this is kind of morbid. This is dark. I, I don't want to talk about this. I just, I, I love you, you know? They're like, well... All good things come to an end. I mean, that's not exactly how they put it, but when you're in your 70s and 80s, they're thinking about what's coming next, and they want me to to be ready for that. So they're confirming things that I've heard about, but promptly forgotten because I'm not paying attention. And so, like when I visit my dad, he says, you know where my passwords are, right? I'm like, yes, Dad, I know where the passwords are. So God is confirming his promises to Jacob here. He confirms that the land or the earth will be given to Jacob's offspring. He confirms that his offspring will cover all points of the compass. Did you notice that? You shall spread abroad, verse 14, to the west. By the way, the word in Hebrew for west is to the sea. So, in Israel, when you look to the west, you see the sea. So, you're gonna spread to the sea, to the east, to the sun, from the sun to the sea, to the north and to the south. And I think this is speaking prophetically about the Holy Land, the land of Israel, but look at the next verse or the next phrase. In you and in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's, an, there's a play on words here. Not only are you going to fill the entire land of, of Canaan, which will become Israel, but in a way that will be revealed later, you're going to fill the earth. So something about the confirmation of the promise gets an expanded version. This is like the the expansion pack. Yes, you're going to fill the earth. I told that to Abraham, but I want to tell you something. You're going to not only fill the land from shore to sun, north to south. You're going to somehow, all the families of the earth, in you, Jacob, and in your offspring, are going to receive a divine blessing. That's an amazing thing. All of Adam's posterity through Jacob are going to be blessed by God. And then we've already mentioned this, Jacob's gonna be, going to enjoy the intimate, personal friendship and communion with God regardless of where he goes. I wonder if this was part of the confirmation that was needed. I know God's with me when I'm with my family, but is he with me when I'm on my own? All by myself. And children, when you grow up to be teenagers and then college students, as, as I have, and then young adults with families of your own, you get to discover this again and again. God is with me wherever I go. You know, this is a beautiful picture of the New Testament promise of the gospel this ladder. We haven't spoken about the ladder, but let's take a look at it. Jacob dreamed, and he, behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it, this is verse 12, reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And my Bible has an exclamation point there. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And then he says what he says. It's it's like, it's like one thing after another. It's, he dreamed, oh my goodness. There was a ladder, some heavenly staircase. And oh my goodness, there's angels on the staircase. And oh my goodness, God is at the top of the staircase. And then... God is speaking to me. That's that's the the way this vision reads. It's like one thing, and then, holy cow, another thing, and then it's one thing after another. The ladder is communicating in an image what God is communicating in words, which is, I am with you at all times. So how does the ladder do that? Well, it's, it's specific. The top of the ladder, the hooks of the ladder, Are hooking into heaven, and the bottom of the ladder is planted on the earth. So the ladder is bridging heaven and earth. He would later, Jacob would later call this place the gate of heaven. So the ladder is communicating visually that nowhere that Jacob goes on earth is far from the gate of heaven. I am with you wherever you go. And to help you remember this, here's this stairway, ladder vision. And in the New Testament, Jesus says to Nathaniel, the angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Jesus tells us that the way that God is with us, wherever we go, is in Him. And that we're about to celebrate Christmas. The second person of the Trinity, Almighty God, God, maybe that we don't know, is clothed in human flesh and becomes the personal God that we know, that's like us. Still God, fully God, and yet fully man. Christ is the ladder by which all of heaven's angels and everything good about the life of the world to come and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit come to us through Christ, step by step, increasingly throughout our lives. Like the ladder, we're fixed to earth, but it's worse. We're we're actually under the earth. We deserve to be in hell. We're far from God. But God comes to us down a pathway, down a stairway in the person of Christ. And then in the ministry of the heavenly angels, they ascend and they bring our burdens to God. They they bring us to God through Christ. God himself is seated on a ladder, I think, is is a picture of Christ because the ladder is a finite object it's 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 a stairway it's a it's a created thing god is seated on the ladder is like god incarnate there's there's a there's a rich symbolism here that god on the ladder is like god in the flesh in the person of jesus And there's nowhere we can go where heaven is not open to us. This is indeed the gate of heaven. So you see, he confirms the promises, but he expands on them. He, he illustrates with this generous vision, this dream vision, God has illustrated to Jacob just how good the promises are. And this is what you should expect as a young person. That the promises that you've heard about, they're, they're pretty good, fine. I mean, you know, I believe in God, mostly. It's way better than that. And I predict in a very short while, if not even this morning, you are beginning to discover just how good God is. That's why he gave him the dream vision. The third reason, and my third point, my final point, is that the dream vision not only reveals a twofold message, God is pursuing Jacob, Jacob's not pursuing God. He confirms and expands on God's promises in that vision. But the third thing is that the vision provokes a change in Jacob. This vision is a catalyst for change. Now I used to teach science in, in, in science in the chemistry unit that I taught. There are certain liquids that are inert. They, they, they don't do anything. But if you drop another chemical into the solution, all of a sudden you get a reaction. And so a catalyst is defined as something that provokes a reaction. And this dream vision is a catalyst for transformation in hard-headed, hard-hearted Jacob. Up until this point, Jacob was kind of like... Um, a little bit off the rails, running out of control. He's he's a man that isn't taking instruction from anyone. But here in the vision, he begins to recognize the presence of God, whereas before he was ignorant. Surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. In this vision, he is learning to extol the majesty of God. Look at how Jacob praises the name of God as a response Jacob awoke verse 16 and says surely the Lord is in this place so he uses the divine name Jehovah L-O-R-D that I was talking about a moment ago and then look what else it says in verse 17 he was afraid and said how awesome is this place this is not the fear it's appropriate to be afraid of God but this isn't the fear of judgment or punishment it's the fear of God is big and I'm small and that's what a lot of teenagers need to discover is that God isn't just a word in a book. I remember that sitting right where you're at. I was 16 years old. I'm like, this is so boring. You know, it's like there's nothing in here and whatever. And that was me. I had to discover that, that God was a, a fearsome God. That He was a force to be reckoned with. Can I put it that way? That he was real and he had plans for my life. And that he was, these, these regular interruptions to my plans, which I would actually blame God for, were actually God's loving way of telling me that I was headed in the wrong direction. So Jacob, like I had to learn, Jacob had to learn to praise the majesty of God with, with words. And I want to see the young people of our church using your words to praise God. Explicit language. I thank God for for that grade on my test. I thank God for this church. I thank God for my parents. I thank God that I broke up with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I'm praying for the salvation of my friends. Explicit language, you see, you have to learn to use these words because you need to discover first that God is who he says. There needs to be a transformation. The 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 switch has to flip in your life. Jacob experiences the worship of God. He sets up a pillar, the stone that he was using as a as a pillow is set up as a pillar. And it's, I think, intended to sort of be kind of a very crude resemblance of the ladder in a way. The oil on the top and God is at the top. So there's, we're, we're, we're supposed to see a connection between the ladder and the pillar here. And he says, this is the house of God. He's not saying that somehow God is in the rock. This isn't a pagan action. It's, it's, a, it's a testimony. That's what it is. And as teenagers, you need a testimony. You need a story. I'll return to that in just a few minutes. And then notice what he does at the end, verse 20. Jacob makes a vow, which is a promise or an oath. He says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way, that I will go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Well, an oath is not a bargain with God. This, I admit, reads a little bit like a bargain. And I think Jacob probably could have done a little bit better job with his oath. It sounds highly conditional. It's good. I think it's a good thing what he's done here. Here's how you can read the conditions. Everything that Jacob says, if, 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 which sounds like, I'm not doing anything unless you do something for me. Think of it differently. All of those conditions, all those ifs, God had already promised. So you could also see the ifs as, you're gonna do that for me? And you're gonna do that for me? And that for me? Well if that's the case i'm all in so the oath here can be read as a conditions a little bit standing off and i think there's god has a lot of work to do in jacob's life yet and i think we see that coming through in this vow in this oath but i think it's primarily a good thing that he does and when you're starting out with god and you have a personal transformational experience with god and God rips the blinders off in some situation that could be catastrophe, it could be an incredible blessing or something in between. And you make a promise. I'll never sin again. Not the most realistic promise. But your heart's in the right place. And God may have to take you down a peg or two over the, over the course of your life. And there's a lot of work that needs to go on from that first time that you meet God and you have this life-transforming experience, and you start to learn to walk with Him in maturity and and, uh, fullness rather than just the first flush of faith. Well, as I conclude this morning, experience definitely is the best teacher, but it's a painful teacher. I wonder what you're having to learn today. I'm thinking about my own life. I've been walking with God a long time. But I have a long way to go. And I continue, I seem to continue to have Bethels in my life. I just walk into a situation. I am not thinking about God. I am definitely not looking for God. And not in a dream, per se. But I'm at a low ebb. And God comes and reminds me, confirms and expands upon the promises that I know are true. So as we close, have you encountered God? This has been a thread I've been running through the service. And while my heart is for the young people of the church, it's really for everyone. You need a personal, subjective, existential experience with God it's going to look different, as different as the fingerprints are in this room. Everyone is going to be slightly different. For some, it'll be so gradual that you don't even know that it's happening. For others, for others, it's more like a bolt of lightning. Most people, it's somewhere in between. This is the testimony that I want you to have. Here's how you get a testimony. You ask yourself, where have I seen God most present in my life? How was I different after that? That's a story that needs to be told. So I'd encourage you, even today, to tell that story to one another. When you're alone, a second application, don't forget, you're not alone. You can trust God. If you're going through hell on earth, exiled from all that you know, Don't understand why this is happening to you? The ladder stretching from heaven to earth is Christ. And Christ makes every place you're at, every circumstance is a gate of heaven. You don't need to go anywhere to find the help that you need. It's there for you. Nothing can separate you from his love or from his provision of angelic support that you will find strength in your hardship. Fear not, the provision is there even before you know You have a need. God's at Bethel, and you're just starting out on your journey. In two days, you will find him. A third application I want to challenge you with is, what is your life's purpose? Do you know it? The patriarchs are found in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And it really plays out in some ways. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 set the stage for the rest of the story, and particularly chapters 4 through 11 are kind of an interlude. And we begin with the patriarchs in, in Genesis 12. So at every point in Genesis, we need to remember where we are in the story. Basic to Genesis is that it gives a purpose to every single human being on the planet. This old book gives you a purpose. Do you know it? Do you know your purpose in life? Glorify God by being fruitful, by multiplying, by filling the earth and subduing it, for most of us, with a partner in marriage. That's it may seem simple. It is. Humans have complicated things. Sin has has made it harder, but not more complicated, if you understand what I'm saying. It's hard to fulfill your purpose, but it's not complicated. And I want you to know what your purpose is, to fill the earth with the glory of God, for most of us, with the spouse, through having children, raising them in the fear and love of the Lord. And finding good work to do. Now, society is going to tell you all kinds of other things about your purpose. And in some ways, Jacob had that purpose in his back pocket. And God said, Reach into your back pocket. Let's talk about this for a second. See this ladder? And he made that purpose very real and very meaningful in the beginning of this transformation in Jacob's life, and I want to emphasize how central families are to the purpose of God in the world. It says, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It doesn't say all the individuals. So in a society that denigrates the family, that is making fun of marriage explicitly explicitly, undermining Christian marriage, we need to get back to the book, and it says Your purpose is to be part of a family that will be blessed by God through Jacob, who is Jesus Christ, the son of Jacob. We're gonna live a lifestyle that is like Eden, and we're gonna have fun. We're gonna take all the fruits of heaven, all the glorious treasures of God, and we're gonna spread it abroad as far and wide as we can. And he who laughs last in this game laughs best. So particularly to the men, Jacob is a patriarch. He's exiled and he's alone. And I think a lot of guys feel this way these days, exiled and alone. So speaking to the brothers, you need to learn that you are not irrelevant. You have a purpose in in the world. And so stop acting like you don't count or you don't matter. Not to be disrespectful, but dad's lives matter, DLM. I made that one up myself. (laughs) Patriarchy is derived from the grace and mercy of God as it comes to you in Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and the promises that are in him. But apart from that, father rule, patriarchy, is nothing but tyranny and oppression, selfishness and sin, But in the redeemed promises of God, patriarchy is a blessing to our wives and to our children. Sin does not abolish the good and glorious calling to be godly moms, and particularly for what I'm saying here, godly fathers. So, let's go to Christ. And wherever you're at, men, this is the gate of heaven. Jesus is right here. All you need to do is ask him, And he'll show up with all the angelic support that you need for this point in the journey to make it a Bethel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting us this morning. I think just like this text, a a church service is 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 a gate of heaven. And certainly as we're about to partake of the sacraments, we will experience that in a very special way. But as we're dwelling on the word in these final moments, would you please not let anyone leave without pressing us with a vision of some kind that you are here seeking to change our lives and to make real what perhaps has only been theoretical up until now. We ask that you would do this because we need it, but mostly for your glory because it's what pleases you and honors you. When people discover their purpose in life, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillingj.org every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro off of Harvard Avenue adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.